giving away all my techniques. <laughs> uh, should we do it? Yeah, probably. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Super Duperstitious, the para comedy podcast about the normal. Wait, no. <laughs> of the science of the strange. <laughs> I'm trying Wyatt. And uh, we, uh, yeah, we're we're perfectly in sync today. You can tell we're ready for this in such a big way. And uh, and what we're ready for today is at long last we're doing the damn thing and talking about the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. Cue dramatic music. Da da. There it was. <laughs> so I think most folks out there will have heard about the Bermuda Triangle by now. If you've listened to this much of this show. You probably are into things that would have brought you at least close to this topic, but to set the table regardless, the Bermuda Triangle, as its name would suggest, is a roughly, Jake? Uh, trapezoidal? Region. (laughs) Triangular region of the Western Atlantic Ocean, with corners fixed on Bermuda, Miami in Florida, and San Juan in Puerto Rico. Uh, so much like the Bridgewater Triangle, this is a three-sided region of elevated spookiness. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the tri- you did the triangle in Vermont one time, too, a few years ago. Yes. Which one was that? I don't remember what it was I... called. The Bennington Triangle, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, that's wow. absolutely right. See? That My memory does function. <laughs> um, specifically, the Bermuda Triangle earned a legendary reputation for mysterious disappearances of ships, planes, and pretty much anyone who dares travel through. Never mind mm. that this is also one of the world's busiest oceanic shipping and travel lanes. <laughs> <laughs> Not to give away the game right now, but yeah, there's yes. a lot of traffic there. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that Jake and I have uh, resisted talking about the Bermuda Triangle for a hot minute um, because it's uh, it's fairly easily debunkable and and thoroughly has been uh, such several times. We did, I think, mention it in about 30 seconds in passing in one episode. Or maybe that was Atlantis. I don't know. We have not. We Things that are <laughs> major, we, we also kind of like to lean more towards less common stories and stuff not because yeah. of the other stuff like we haven't talked about the Loch Ness Monster we haven't Such talked about Sasquatch and Chupacabra <laughs> we, well, we started with that and then we decided to kind of branch out to different stuff at um, least one of us did we fell into some grooves but generally we like to try and cover stuff that is a little bit uh, more unique so that you're not getting the same thing every podcast you go to but That's we also right. recognize that we have a different spin than a lot of other spooky podcasts and can bring something to the table that hopefully you'll find enjoyable Indeed. This was a, uh, a a listener suggestion from Alana. Thank you very much, Alana. So, Jake, I'm sure I can speak for both of us, though, having said all that nicely as you did. When I say that stories of the Bermuda Triangle were easily some of the most captivating tales ever when I was a kid. Is oh, that true same. as well? For sure. I remember watching specials where they're like trying to test out different things, like putting uh, having a great big like Olympic swimming pool and putting many ships on the surface yes. and then bubbling air at it to see what happened and indeed very fun stories uh and yes just as jake has said in the mid 90s when we were spawnlings uh <laughs> pretty much every other show on the history or learning channel was like about the bermuda triangle <laughs> yeah if not that it was about like roswell again or uh yes, different 51. Stuff. Yep. Oh my god 
Uh, so yeah, I think today Jake and I will take y'all through a couple of the stories that make the Bermuda Triangle such a solid gold classic spooky spot. And then we'll take a great big dump all over it. Yes. Yes. As you can hear us <laughs> clenching our butt cheeks even as we speak. <laughs> um, as it's an odd episode, does that mean I go first, Jake? Yes, it does. All right. Well then I will kick it off with the, uh, deflated football that is flight 19 (laughs) uh perhaps the most infamous bermuda triangle tale of them all which i will now greedily and hungrily devour (laughs) and uh as offered by history.com one of the most perplexing mysteries in aviation history to this day Mm -hmm. and jake do you already know the story you probably do i i've heard it who Broad knows strokes. how many times, but I I keep forgetting the main details because it's like the most quintessential, I mean, it's the origin of the Bermuda Triangle story, right? In, indeed it is. So it's the most quintessential version of that story that I think all future stories have bled together in my mind into all one general thing. So the beats of this one are uh, going to still be new to me regardless. Yes, this this for me as well, I uh, in in doing homework for this episode, saw this and it was like a distant dusty old bell was ringing in my head and i will say in rereading the story it is kind of creepy it, yeah it's very odd i think maybe emma covered this on real life ghost stories a few weeks ago oh cool but i don't remember if it was this specific story or not because again i don't remember which ones or which and if that was the one and it's yeah it's, it's cool so and emma if you're listening i apologize that i am bad at listening to podcasts <laughs> It's like he's a postdoc or some shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, here we go. It all began as a routine training flight. At 2.10 p.m. on December 5th, 1945, five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers took off from a naval air station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) The planes, collectively known as Flight 19 were scheduled to tackle a three-hour exercise known as Navigation Problem Number 1, which, it turns out, was a very good name for this particular (laughs) flight. (laughs) Their, perhaps nefariously, triangular flight plan (laughs) called for them to head east from the Florida coast and conduct bombing runs at a place called Hens and Chickens Shoals. They would then turn north and proceed over Grand Pahama Island before changing course a third time and flying southwest back to base. Save for one plane that only carried two men, each of the Avengers was uh, crewed by three Navy men, or as the HistoryChannel.com helpfully reminds us, Marines, (laughs) most of whom had logged around 300 hours in the air. The flight's leader was Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, an experienced pilot and veteran of several combat missions in World War II's Pacific Theater. At first, Flight 19's operation proceeded just as smoothly as the previous 18 that day. Taylor and his pilots buzzed over hens and chickens shoals around 2.30 and dropped their practice bombs without incident. Obviously speaking from the perspective of humans. Yeah. A practice bomb is like a bomb with with training wheels on it or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or it's like one of those um, Adam West Batman guns that says bang when you pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah. so the, the shell drops and then explodes with the word boom. Exactly. But the shell's made out of like lead and mercury or something. <laughs> yeah. Still got to hurt the environment somehow. Yeah. It's got to do something bad. 
shortly after they pre- dropped these bombs, uh, the patrol turned north for the second leg of its journey. And this is when something very strange happened. For reasons that are still unclear, Taylor became convinced that his Avengers compass was malfunctioning and that his planes had been flying in the wrong direction. His planes obviously being the one that he was flying and the rest of the crew. The troubles only mounted after a front blew in and brought rain, gusting winds, and heavy cloud cover. Flight 19 became hopelessly disoriented. Quote, I don't know where we are, one of the pilots said over the radio. We must have got lost after that last turn. Lieutenant Robert F. Cox, another Navy flight instructor who was flying near the Florida coast, was the first to overhear the patrol's radio communications. He immediately informed the air station of the situation and then contacted the Avengers to ask if they needed assistance. Quote, Both my compasses are out and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Taylor said, his voice sounding anxious. I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down. The Keys, uh, for folks who may not be familiar, are a string of islands that uh, project off the southern tip of Florida. So mm-hmm. that would put him quite a ways away from where he thought he'd be flying, which is off the east coast. So he was kind of panicking that he's like, how the hell am I down here? And if, uh, accordingly, um, Taylor's claim didn't seem to make sense. He'd made his scheduled pass over hens and chicken uh, chickens shoals in the Bahamas less than an hour earlier but he now believed his planes had somehow drifted hundreds of miles off course and ended up in the Florida Keys. The 27-year-old had just transferred to Fort Lauderdale from Miami, and many have since speculated that he may have confused some of the islands of the Bahamas for the Keys. And let me also just take this moment to say that 27 is young as hell. Yeah, when you said that, I was picturing these guys being much older for some reason, but you just said, I was like, oh my god yes indeed they talk about taylor like he's some grizzled aerial general but (laughs) he's just a kid (laughs) wow so under normal circumstances pilots lost in the atlantic were supposed to point their planes toward the setting sun and fly west toward the mainland but taylor had become convinced that he might be over the gulf of mexico Mm. hoping to locate the florida peninsula he made a fateful decision to steer flight 19 northeast a course that would only take them even farther out to sea, assuming they had actually taken their correct plan. Some of his pilots seemed to have recognized that he was making a mistake. Damn it, one man griped over the radio. If we would just fly west, we would get home. Taylor was eventually persuaded to turn around and head west, but shortly after 6 p.m., so they've already been in the air for, what, four and a half hours? Damn. He seems to have canceled the order and once again changed direction. We didn't go far enough east, he said, still worried that he might be in the Gulf. We may as well just turn around and go east again. His pilots probably argued against this decision. Some investigators even believe that one plane broke off and flew in a different direction. But most followed their commander's lead. If they were really worried about that, they could split the difference and just kind of go northwest-ish or something and end up, if he thought they were truly in the Gulf, they'd hit like Georgia or something before Alabama. exactly, right? Or just keep flying west. What do you have to lose? Yeah, I mean, if they have enough gas to get that far. You'll just hit Texas or Mexico or something. Right. Um, Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier, too. I'm like, fuck. In any case, Flight 19's radio transmissions soon became increasingly faint as it meandered out to sea. When fuel began to run low, Taylor was heard prepping his men for a potential crash landing in the ocean. 
All planes close up tight, he said. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. A few minutes later, the Avengers' last radio communications were replaced by an eerie buzz of static. (laughs) The Navy immediately scrambled search planes to hunt for the missing patrol. Around 7.30 p.m., a pair of PBM Mariner flying boats took off from an air station north of Fort Lauderdale. Just 20 minutes later, however, one of them seemed to follow Flight 19's lead by suddenly vanishing off radar. Great. This day is going super well. Mm -hmm. At first light the next day, the Navy dispatched more than 300 boats and aircraft to look for Flight 19 and the missing Mariner. The search party spent five days coming through more than 300,000 square miles of territory to no available. Uh, To no available. (laughs) (laughs) To no available. (laughs) To no avail. They just vanished, Navy Lieutenant David White later recalled. We had hundreds of planes out looking, and we searched over land and over water for days, and nobody ever found the bodies or any debris. The Navy Board of Investigation was also left scratching its head. While it argued that Taylor might have confused the Bahamas for the Florida Keys after his compasses malfunctioned, it could find no clear explanation for why Flight 19 had become so disoriented. Its members eventually attributed the loss to, quote, causes or reasons unknown. (laughs) And it is here that all manner of wild theories and speculation have taken root. You betcha. In the 1960s and 70s, pulp magazines and writers such as Vincent Gaddis and Charles Berlitz helped popularize the idea that Flight 19 had been gobbled up by the Bermuda Triangle, which in a way it probably was. Other books and portrayals have suggested, even insisted, that magnetic anomalies, parallel dimensions, and alien abductions might have all played a role in the tragedy. Even in 1977, the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind famously depicted uh, Flight 19 as having been whisked away by flying saucers and later deposited in the deserts of Mexico. Hmm. So to briefly unpack just one of these uh, theories, compasses of all kinds use the Earth's magnetic field in order to determine which direction is north. And it has been theorized that in the Bermuda Triangle, there are abnormal fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic field that interfere with this process and cause compasses to malfunction. Now, magnetic anomalies, which are places of local variation in Earth's magnetic field, do exist, but typically as the result of variations in the magnetism of the rocks in the area, and in Mm -hmm. some cases, I guess, chemical um, reaction, but I didn't dig into that too much. To date, however, concrete evidence of such anomalies have not been detected in the region of the Bermuda Triangle. That said, compasses also have natural magnetic variations in relations to Earth's magnetic poles, so it's not out of the question to expect some deviation in an old analog compass when covering a distance as expansive as is contained within the Bermuda Triangle, roughly 1.3 to 3.9 million square kilometers, or... Uh, one half to 1.5 million square miles. So in other words, Taylor's compass might have appeared weird to him. That said, aliens and parallel dimensions, we would never have evidence even if we look for it, so you do the math. Right. Um, even if the Lost Patrol didn't fall victim to the supernatural, there's no denying that its disappearance was accompanied by many oddities and unanswered questions. 
perhaps the strangest of all concerns Lieutenant Taylor. Witnesses later claimed that he arrived to Flight 19's pre-exercise briefing several minutes late and requested to be excused from leading the mission. Quote, I just don't want to take this one out, he supposedly said. Just why Taylor tried to get out of flying remains a mystery, but it has led many to suggest that he may have not been fit for duty. Also unexplained is why none of the members of Flight 19 made use of the rescue radio frequency or their plane's ZBX receivers, hmm. which could have helped lead them toward Navy radio towers on land. The pilots were told to switch the devices on, but they either didn't hear the message or didn't acknowledge it. And lastly, in 1991, a group of treasure hunters stumbled upon the watery graves of five World War II-era Avengers near Fort Lauderdale. Hmm. Unfortunately, however, these were a different group of Navy planes whose serial numbers didn't match those of the fabled Lost Patrol. Uh. Many believe the wrecks of Flight 19 and its doomed rescue plane may still lurk somewhere in the Bermuda Triangle. So what really happened to Flight 19? The most likely scenario is Taylor was, for whatever reason, half out of his gourd on the day, and horrible confusions compounded on one another in the face of limited fuel. The planes likely eventually had to ditch in the ocean somewhere off the coast of Florida, leaving any survivors at the mercy of rough seas and deep water. Although the remains of the rescue mariner and its 13 crewmen were never recovered, it's commonly believed that the seaplane exploded shortly after takeoff. Flying boats were notoriously accident-prone and were even nicknamed flying gas tanks <laughs> for their propensity to catch fire. So, though unofficial, suspicions uh, that the seaplane may have gone up in flames were all but confirmed by a passing merchant ship, which spotted a fireball and found evidence of an oil slick in the ocean. Thanks. So, looks like the rescue mariner definitely exploded. And Flight 19 was just a horrifying tragedy that, with no good explanation, as with all horrifying tragedies, quickly became the verdant garden of conspiracy yep. <laughs> that we now know it uh, to be today. So that is Flight 19 in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, what do you, Jake, any, any thoughts, opinions, feelings? One thing that I remember hearing about and looking up this stuff and I've heard in the past too, is that there are a couple of spots on the planet where uh, magnetic North and true North do actually align Indeed. and that can kind of screw up navigation stuff. And supposedly the Bermuda triangle general region is one of the places where that does happen. I mm. didn't look deeply enough into that to see how true that actually is. I don't believe it is. Okay. I think there is a place in North America where that happens. Okay. Um, but I'm now forgetting it off the top of my head. But that is true, and that can be a screwy, screwy thing for compasses. Gotcha. But I would bet something may have been happening as they flew that could have just messed his compass up a little bit, and he already sounds like he was kind of maybe, you know, one foot out the door for whatever reason on the day. And then if you if you have just nothing but Ugh. water on all sides... Oh, my and, God. And then you say some, some bad weather came in, too? Some bad weather came in, too, apparently, yeah. Be very easy to be completely lost and also to panic the panic and this is something i didn't mention in this telling of the story but other stories if you look up uh they will quote other pilots who were kind of like panicky and on the verge of hysterics radioing back just to be like we don't know what the fuck we're doing and like you know the water's getting 
bad out here and just like oh my god mm-hmm. so it sounds like everyone kind of uh it was not a good day it's a very right. bad day but it was not aliens <laughs> <laughs> another thing that kind of um goes with this as far as their their wreckage never being found the bermuda triangle's like bottom i guess you it's kind of angled sort of pointing towards like europe but right. uh you could kind of call it the bottom the 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 side of it that goes between uh, Florida and uh, Puerto Rico is basically the edge of the continental shelf. And so once you get past that into the triangle itself, suddenly the water gets so deep, so very deep. And it would be very, very easy for anything to, that sank there to just be gone. Absolutely. And if not slurped down into the watery depths, perhaps carried away on the Gulf Stream. Right. Which is a flow of water oceanic current that uh would carry uh, particulate very far away from the crash site if there was one assuming they weren't abducted yeah um it is the reason that uh county cork in ireland has palm trees because that's stuff <laughs> that the go. warm the warm caribbean water and also like seeds and stuff from those trees can get carried there and uh make a sort of tropical looking area in uh ireland that is hilarious. Palm trees are amazing. They truly are. Um, perhaps that could be the title for the show. Yeah. Um, the next part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a good, a, good, uh, a good intro to the phenomenon that is the Bermuda Triangle mm. to get started with. I'll take us into a little bit more of that in a moment. But first... Do I now tee you up, or do we now do the pander section? <laughs> I think, yeah, let's just do pander. Let me just turn it on. All right. There, it's on. Should we, oh, uh, I couldn't tell because you never made the boop noise, but uh, it's fine. Um, <laughs> we'll plug these tendrils into our skulls. That's right. Pander, of course, stands for Patron Appreciation Earl Dive for Evaluation of Risk. If you don't understand what that is by now. This is maybe your first time listening. And so I'll explain it to you, which is to say that we have the NC-AAA device, which is an ancient sort of evil computer thing that we have summoned slash manufactured uh, three years ago for something completely else. And uh, there's one other program that we've written on it, and it allows us to assess what our patrons need to look out for, be it cryptid, creature, ghoulie, monster, what have you. It is not um, the internet. And so we have now linked our minds <laughs> and... We are going to focus this week on the J-Po. The J-Po. The, oh, Thedge-Po. I think it's Thedge-Po. Thedge-Po. Yeah. 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 Thedge-Po. A.K.A. Jessica. You best watch yourself because there's a little something lurking out there called... Oklahoma, Oklahoma Octopus. octopus. <laughs> no, this is not a band. <laughs> this is a cryptid. Generally said to inhabit some freshwater man-made lakes of Oklahoma, including Lake Thunderbird, Uloga Lake, and Lake Tenkiller. And in those lakes, it uh, attacks and kills unsuspecting swimmers. There is no existing footage of this happening. You should avoid Oklahoma. If you do go swimming in either of those lakes, be suspecting. Yep. Definitely do that. Um... As, a, as with any Oklahoma octopus, it is most likely a cephalopod. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> pretty much a guarantee. More specifically, an octopus, mm-hmm. according to the description of the creature. Now, some skeptics doubt the existence of such an oddity, citing things like, oh, why would that be there? How could it live in fresh water? Uh, these lakes are man-made. Where the fuck did it come from? 
Um, however, octopi have been recorded, at least for brief periods of time, living in freshwater environments. So why couldn't it just uh, live there indefinitely, grow gigantic, and kill people? As all creatures with more than two arms and legs are wont to do. Mm-hmm. This freshwater cephalopod, I guess we're back on cephalopod now, is about the size of a horse. <laughs> and resembles an octopus. So now it's kind of not clear whether it actually is an octopus. <laughs> with long tentacles and leathery reddish-brown skin. Sounds like a horse to me. It's happy to pull unwilling humans underwater. If you are willing, it's not interested. I will say that due to the lakes being man-made, the drownings, uh, ostensibly caused by the octopus, are most likely the result of people getting drunk and not paying attention while swimming. <laughs> yes. Especially given the fact that drowned victims have no sucker lacerations on their bodies, which of course is the telltale sign of octopus murder. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> Sedgepo, keep... An eye out for Oklahoma. And if you do find yourself being pulled underwater by an octopus, be into it and it will stop. Yes. Realize what is happening and you will be saved. And of course, thank you for your support on Patreon. We appreciate it so very much. If you yourself would like to have your name entered into the NCAA device such that we can stroke in the pander function to determine what creature you must be on the lookout for, please consider donating at even just a dollar a month. Barely enough to buy even a third of a coffee. <laughs> uh, we will love you for it. You can feel safer walking around in the world. Exactly. Uh, but we also have higher tiers of patron support that get you more fun things. If you like hearing what we've just had come out of our face, we also have that in sticker form, which... <laughs> can be like the things that we talk about on other episodes that you could stick on your trapper keeper or whatever <laughs> yeah. if you're in like fourth grade for some reason or if you just like to hear more of us we have bonus content you can get uh, there's um, outtakes of us just being bad at this every month's worth of uh, outtakes gets curated edited together and uh, put out after each month guaranteed we get worse at this every month it's or at least true. i do Jake gets better and i get worse so no, deal no, with it's that. both it's definitely both it's just that the things you do wrong are funny to listen to whereas mine are just delete worthy um <laughs> <laughs> we also have bonus minisodes every week that an episode comes out you better believe there's a, a bonus thing that also happens too yep and, and it's that. all good and there's also a higher tier we won't talk about it but it is a tier that you can give us a lot of money for and we'll be your friend so <laughs> do it don't forget that there's also the option of doing a, uh, a yearly subscription pay for a whole year at once and get a discount off of it it's cheaper than doing it month by month so just uh, consider that as an option there you go you could basically get a dollar's worth of content for 80 cents <laughs> something like that <laughs> So thank you all very much. Thank you. And let's uh, let's unplug these from our brains. There we go. So Jake, uh, I think there's nothing else to say, but what else is there to say about the uh, Bermuda Triangle? Take it away. There's nothing left to say. So, Wow. Um, well, everyone, thank you for joining <laughs> us this week. Uh, oh, there is one thing I just remembered, and that is uh, the SS... Cotopaxi. Is this a boat that carries fun coats, bags, and other paraphernalia made of upcycled <laughs> offcuts from parachutes or whatever the fuck that company does? Uh, not in this case. No, it's a little bit too early for that. Um, too bad. I'm not interested anymore. Uh, I'm afraid uh, you, can, you can bail, but listeners, I'm going to keep going for your sake. Uh, right, the SS Cotopaxi was an American merchant steamer. And it, uh, it left Charleston, South Carolina on November 29th, 1925, 
loaded with coal. But the vessel vanished without a trace before arriving at its destination, Havana, Cuba. I'll be getting my material today from a combination of Newsweek, Live Science, The Post and Courier, and a 1958 article in The News and Courier. Are you still there? Yeah, I got up and walked away for a gag. I had the headphones on the whole time. <laughs> Fun in theory, but also I can't see you when I'm not on uh, the Zoom thing, so I had no idea that happened. Well, here we are. <laughs> uh, I'm going to begin with the 1958 article from the News and Courier. The Cotopaxi, owned by the Clinchfield Navigation Company, had a valuable cargo of coal on board. Neither the company nor the buyers would appreciate a delay in delivery of the cargo, and the ship's captain, W.J. Myers, knew this all too well. Mm. He said the ship's sailing time at 10 a.m. on Sunday, November 29th. Myers knew that taking the heavily loaded Cotopaxi probably presented a calculated risk. There was some bad weather on the uh, horizon, so he's like, no, 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 but they were ordered to do it, so he had to do it. He felt the odds favored him, for the ship would hug the Atlantic coast on its trip to Cuba and... Even if dangerously heavy seas did threaten the collier, the Cotopaxi had a radio set aboard to ask for any assistance needed. Myers sailed the ship from port on schedule. At noon on Monday, November, November 30th, a radioed position report was received from the collier, which by then was off the Georgia coast. Such reports were routine company procedure. At noon, Tuesday, December 1st, there was no report. Failure of the ship to radio its position created some consternation along the Charleston waterfront, which had supplied many of the crew members of the collier, but the prevailing opinion was that something had fouled up the ship's radio set. At noon, Wednesday, December 2nd, there was no report from the ship. Hmm. Almost simultaneously, news that heavy seas had nearly broken in two the large Navy collier Orion in the South Atlantic and the report of an SOS received by a ship in the area where the Cotopaxi might logically have been expected to be were received. Hmm. Uh, for the first time, serious concern was expressed for the fate of the collier. Hmm. On Thursday, November 3rd, and Friday, November 4th, no reports were received from the Cotopaxi. On the latter day, the Coast Guard reported it considered the collier a missing ship. A search of sea areas off Palm Beach, Florida, was instituted. Days of searching to no avail. Hmm. There was no trace to be found of the Cotopaxi or her crew. Days passed by without any indication that the vessel's fate ever would be known. On Monday, December 7th, 1925, eight days after the Cotopaxi sailed from Charleston, the Associated Press reported that, quote, practically all hope has been abandoned for finding the ship. Ooh. The news service, basing its reports on information supplied by the Coast Guard, reported that the Cotopaxi was believed a victim of an intense tropical storm. Hmm. Associated Press added, however, that the possibility still existed that the Collier's crew had been picked up by a passing vessel that had failed to report the rescue. Mm -hmm. Such a hope appeared the only glimmer of hope for the families and loved ones of the Cotopaxi's crew. Did you say that such a hope was the only glimmer of hope? That is exactly what it says in this newspaper article from 1958. <laughs> there you go. Carry on. Uh... More days passed without word of the ship or her men. On Saturday, December 12th, the glimmer of hope appeared to have been realized. A telegram from Pelea As Brothers... As more actualized hope. Yes. Uh, the Havana firm, representing Clinchfield Navigation Company, reported that all crew members of the Cotopaxi were safe in Havana. Whoa. The ship was lost. Details of the rescue, it was reported, were unknown. On Sunday, December 13th, hopes once again began to flicker. The Havana Port Police 
hounded by newsmen for a statement concerning the whereabouts of the crew of the Cotopaxi, issued a statement that the ship had been sunk, uh, the crew rescued and sent on its way to Charleston. But the Associated Press, attempting to follow up the report, found itself heading up blind alleyways. Added the AP to its story in um, incorporating the Havana Port Police Report, quote, nothing to substantiate this, however, has been found, and it would appear the report of the police was based on erroneous information. Further probing of the Havana, uh, of the, of the Havana reports the following day almost completely collapsed hopes that the men of the Collier had been saved. Checks show that the original telegram of the uh, Palaya brothers was based on the Havana Port Police Report, which in turn appeared based on unfounded rumors, the source of which no one can say, the AP reported. To this day, there is no record of the fate of the 32 crew members of the Cotopaxi, nor of the ship itself. It hmm. probably never will be. Yikes. This is, yeah, 33 years after the fact. There was a brief window where people thought that, oh, it's been found in Havana. Oh, that means the crew was found in Havana. They're all fine. And then mm-hmm. they weren't. The family, of course, the whole time hearing this, and be like, oh, good, they're all safe. And then, oh, oh they God. just are still missing? What the hell? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they never were found. Heartbreaking. Pretty awful stuff. Stranger still, two of the Cotopaxi's sister ships suffered similar fates. Could the whole line have been cursed? Or did the Bermuda Triangle just do some final destination shit on the Cotopaxi and everything that looked like it? These are the questions surrounding this ship and its disappearance. <laughs> Obviously, a whole bunch of stuff got really colorful over the years. People wondered what had happened. Uh, mm-hmm. Funny that you mentioned Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That also included the Cotopaxi reappearing in the Gobi Desert, having apparently been placed there by <laughs> extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. So yeah, any weird disappearances kind of associated with the Bermuda Triangle were uh, just thrown into that movie. Apparently. Another thing that happened in 2015, a news report said that the ship had reappeared near a restricted military zone off the coast of Cuba, rusted all the hell but still afloat, uh, having somehow gone unnoticed for almost a century before ending up in Cuban waters. The picture mm. accompanying it was just of this rusty ship floating on, on the surface. It was actually a right. picture from um, some like uh, ship graveyard where ships are just kind of put that are done with and they don't sink but do just kind of rot there and passed off as though it were this uh various version of this story emerged right. in the years that followed people all just reporting it passing it on finally they're all dismissed as hoaxes because the story had originated from the world news daily report oh which boy. is a bad fictitious news site uh and they didn't it wasn't until later that they said oh yeah no we made that up they didn't have the initial um never mind that wndr also sounds like wonder which sounds like bullshit mm-hmm. yeah a lot of, a lot of just speculation and just making shit up all to do with this ship people for decades just wondering what the hell happened to the Cotopaxi. And all the kind of theories that surround stuff to do with the Bermuda Triangle have all been applied to this ship's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Whether it's aliens, uh, other weird paranormal type stuff, making the ship go bye-bye, they're all there. Um, <laughs> however, as of this past year or so, a marine biologist Ooh. and diver named Michael Barnett has shed some serious light on the situation. Oh, boy. Tell me more. But before I get into it, what are your thoughts so far? Well, I know it can be a turbulent place in the old Bermuda Triangle region. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not so crazy to think that a ship would go under from time to time. I know, too, sometimes ships are abandoned and can sort of sail themselves about the oceans for years at a time. Totally. So you can have the ghost ship effect. And I am cautiously optimistic we may be getting close to one of my favorite Bermuda Triangle natural theories of disappearance, 
but I'll allow you to carry on. Those are my thoughts right now. Groovy. I'll jump into Barnett's uh, uh, take on all this stuff. Please do. He said, quote, I've always been fascinated by history. Barnett, who has discovered the wrecks of numerous lost ships over the course of his career, said, I'm a marine biologist by profession, but maritime history is my real passion. I like going out and trying to identify wrecks because every one has a fascinating story. I'm just a very curious guy. Well, good for you. <laughs> when Barnett moved to Florida from the Mid-Atlantic almost 20 years ago, he sought out shipwrecks he could explore while diving. Uh, one wreck in particular, known to locals as the Bear Wreck, like the animal, the bear, hmm. and located about 35 nautical miles, 65 kilometers, off the eastern coast of St. Augustine in northern Florida, caught his attention. Hmm. Unlike most shipwrecks in that area, the Bear Wreck was large and looked different from the other wrecks that were there. I'll get into more about that in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, intrigued, Barnett did some research about it. Mm. He contacted British historian Guy Walters and asked him to dig through the archives of Lloyd's of London, which contains insurance documents related to the ship's fateful voyage. Mm -hmm. He had a suspicion, suspicion that this might be the Cotopaxi. During his search, Walters managed to uncover evidence that the Cotopaxi had sent out a distress signal on December 1st, 1925, a key piece of information that historians had not previously known about. Hmm. Quote, a lot of times it's more important to spend more time in the archives researching than it is on the water, because that's when you'll make the discoveries in all these articles for insurance or things of that nature, he told Newsweek. According to the documents he uncovered, the distress signals were picked up in Jacksonville, Florida, placing the ship in the vicinity of the so-called Bear Wreck, hmm. located off the, off the coast of St. Augustine, uh, which has baffled experts for decades. The waters off the coast of St. Augustine, a thriving port in colonial times, are filled with 16th and 17th century shipwrecks. The Bear Wreck, however, appears to be from the late 19th or early 20th century and is located much further off the coast than most of the other older shipwrecks. The ship's real name and the reason it sank had long remained a mystery. With the evidence uncovered by Walters, uh, Barnett and his dive partner, Joe Sotelli, uh, decided to conduct a series of dives at the Bear Wreck in order to look for an artifact that could link it to the Cotopaxi. Specifically, they wanted to find an object with the vessel's name on it, ideally, uh, something commonly found on the bell of ships. So if they could find the bell, it might say the name of it. That might be a way to say, hey, this is it. However, stuff like that is pretty hard to find, so they had to do some deeper digging when they couldn't just get something hmm. as simple as that. They took a bunch of measurements and compared them to the known dimensions of the Cotopaxi. That seemed to line up pretty well. Uh, what really sealed the deal was some final reports about the weather and last known location of the ship, um, which put the wreck not far away and right along the course of where the ship would have been going. So hmm. the last known location, just a little ways north, I think 30 miles north of where this was found, the timing of when that storm would have been, really just all pointed to the idea of the ship was on its way there, ran into trouble, and sank where they found this wreck. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the ship was no longer lost. <laughs> but what happened? Mm-hmm. After the Cotopaxi went missing, the crew members' families sued the company that owned the ship. Families had found the ship's carpenter, who testified that the ship had broken hatch covers, which were used hmm. to cover the coal. Uh, so if water sloshed aboard the ship and ran down into the cargo hold, the broken covers meant that the ship could flood and sink. Oh, God. Quote, we know from testimony that the hatch covers were in a very sad state of repair, Barnett said. Mm. They were in the process of repairing all of these cargo hold covers, Yet they were told to sail to Cuba before they completed all of that. Hmm. So add a big storm to the mix, and boom, you've got yourself a needless tragedy with completely natural causes. Right. And not only was it not just some sort of normal accident that happened to occur in the Bermuda Triangle and this got lumped in with that mythology, it didn't even happen in the Triangle at all. 
despite uh, the better part of a century of people saying it's like a famous case of Bermuda Triangle disappearance, it actually was not even in there where it sank. <laughs> As for the sister ships that disappeared, of that set, uh, including the Cotopaxi, only three out of the 17 design 1060 ships built at the River Rouge Yard actually went missing. Hmm. One turned out to have sunk off the coast of Cape Cod. First it was said missing, but they found it. It's off the coast of Cape Cod in this one kind of general ship graveyard that's there. Hmm. They're saying somewhere southwest of Bermuda on its way to Brazil. Again, well past the Bermuda Triangle, still just mm-hmm. headed south, sank there somewhere. So in conclusion to this particular segment, we can get into more theory stuff in a second, but uh, yeah, the ocean is dangerous and people who ship stuff should be treated much better than they are. And also the Bermuda Triangle isn't real at the end. Here, here. Man. So it goes, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it makes so much sense that it would be an unfortunate structural, you know, issue. Yes. And um, it just, it makes me think of like when, when Lauren and I were first moving out here with all like the moving truck full of all of our stuff, we we're driving through a blizzard in Wisconsin for hours and hours and hours. Did the coal hatches blow off the truck? They did. It was awful. We sank. Um, no, we were going just like crawling along trying to make sure we we're able to keep control of this huge truck. And then we'd see these great big like 18 wheelers blow past us basically at highway speed on this hmm. snow and ice covered road. And then we keep going and eventually find those same trucks jackknifed sideways on the Oof. in the ditch and stuff. And it was just like seeing them drive that fast. Like obviously these are professional drivers. They know what they're doing, but they're just under such ridiculous deadlines that they mm-hmm. just have to floor it anyway and risk these very dangerous and then then they end up crashing like that and then that sets them back way further and it's just a i mean and hopefully they didn't get injured in the process i mean they might have been delivering that stuff to that side of the road right there <laughs> you could have been trying to deliver it to the ditch <laughs> sideways you don't know for sure but uh sure. it's just Destroy yeah. truck upon delivery <laughs> might have been all part of the plan we we don't know for sure but the, the point being that, yeah, the industry of getting stuff to places really puts the people who get that stuff there at a lot of risk. And um, you hear all these stories, people like taking tons of caffeine pills and stuff, trying to stay awake for ridiculous numbers of hours to drive mm-hmm. as far as they have to. Oceans are a special kind of dangerous above and beyond what roads are. And uh, yeah, we got to we gotta take better care of the people who do all that work. Where's our water road truckers episode, <laughs> Discovery Channel? Yeah. I will say I Facebook algorithm has decided to serve things up to me that I feel like I've done nothing to inspire in it. Mm-hmm. And one of those things, alongside lots of like veterans affairs type content. Curious. About once a month, I'll get a post that's like, do you eat food? Do you wear <laughs> clothes? Do you like, you know, sit in furniture? <laughs> Think a trucker. And I always have a mixture of like, all right. But also, you know what? You're right. Why not? And I guess <laughs> that's my yeah big statement for today. Other statement too is if uh, if we can find more ways to uh, just clog up the Suez Canal or or the Panama Canal. Oh yeah, take down the system, man. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, I think at this point we've made a pretty clear this is more or less an anti-capitalist podcast. Um, oh, pretty firmly so. <laughs> and uh, uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, um, good stuff. There's other ways to live for your mind. Also, the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> yes, it's real. There are aliens and all that stuff. And They're all so in scary. it. scary. Oh, God. And um, what there are you some go. Of, yes, there's some different cool stuff to say. Like I've said before, uh, even as recently as like two episodes ago, 
confirmation bias plays a huge role in myth building. We opened this episode saying that this is one of the most, like one of the busiest shipping routes in the entire world. So if you have just a very highly trafficked area of the ocean, especially one that is very prone to hurricanes and stuff and a lot of just different tropical storms, odds are you're going to have a lot of stuff sinking there or crashing or whatever it might be like coming out of the sky or sinking just generally accidents happening on the water if you already have in your head that this is a particularly spooky mm-hmm. area in the water then when those accidents happen you're going to attribute it to that area uh, i was hoping to try and find a story that had all the vibes of a bermuda triangle disappearance but that took place someplace totally different i managed to find one that just was hmm. slightly outside of it not quite the same as something hmm. totally uh, totally different but uh but generally, yeah, when there are shipwreck type things that happen elsewhere in the world, it's like, oh, it's a tragedy because it is. But we don't also say all this spooky stuff on top of it. Right. There isn't some capture point frame already there in yeah. place. I think it's part of the reason why we tend to avoid stories uh, along these lines and also avoid like the more true crime type stuff because it's uh, it's mostly just a tragedy that is then that then has paranormal mystique added to it that in some ways kind of just just detracts from the actual loss of life part that did happen people saying oh maybe they've been abducted abduct- by aliens will come back at some point maybe uh some kind of other conspiracy dimension or something like this yeah right? it's like you know maybe just awful things happen sometimes and it it sucks and is sad exactly yeah i mean to pile on you've already made the point very nicely but just like yeah this is also where we lose our taste for cursed objects and things especially right. when they're associated with deaths as you found from our last cursed object oh story, God. we both got turned off by our own shit very fast. We're like, oh, this is sad. <laughs> you know, Jake and I, we do what we can to find some nice content, but often there's content that's kind of crumb bummy and we, we laugh our way through it, but there's others that just get the big heavy sigh. <laughs> Doesn't help that we're both just like extra depressed after this whole past year and in general. Yeah, uh, it's it's a bummer. So, you know... Anyway, not to go back down that road. (laughs) Instead, let's go with what was your favorite theory about how stuff might happen in the Bermuda Triangle? You teased it earlier, and I want to hear you tell about it, because it was very fun. Sure. I didn't write any copy for this, really, but I uh, quickly glimpsed online (laughs) to remind myself (laughs) how this works. But essentially, methane hydrates. So this is a form of natural gas Mm -hmm. that uh, just exists in the world and there's a certain thing that folks will playfully refer to as a mud volcano, <laughs> but essentially there is an eruption of natural gas uh, from deep down underwater in the ocean, and this massive plume of methane typically obviously gurgles up to the surface of the ocean where it's released, but because there is just so much gas uh, moving through the water, this can actually reduce the... What would you refer to it, Jake, as? Density. Like the buoyance? The well, buoy- I think the density, the density of the water goes down, and so then, you, the, yes. then the whole buoyancy ratio gets fucked. So this could be one explanation, at least, for ships going down unexplainably. So yeah. things are going fine, and then the next minute you know it, the ship is completely gone. What happened? Well, nobody saw it coming, but it may have just lost its buoyancy in the face of a shit ton of natural gas which could also i guess lead to explosions i believe this is actually calling things back for me as i talk about it from these shows a million yeah. years ago but that's like, the one I, I i mentioned at the top where i was watching the experiment where they had the fake ships and bubbling air at it and stuff like yeah that 
Indeed, but I was going to see even further, if I'm not mistaken, there was speculation in at least one show where the gas, as it goes up into the atmosphere, could cause combustion of planes spontaneously, like, burning up the gas. Does that make sense? (laughs) I mean, depending on how much... If they flew through a giant cloud of methane, they would just (laughs) blow an engine? Uh, Yeah, I don't really know how that would go. Let's try it. Okay, I will purchase a mid-century style jet plane, I guess. And I'll purchase some methane. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I do love that theory very much. It's fun. It's a little bit a lucky shot in the dark, (laughs) which is to say that a boat would have to be at just the right place at just the right time. But hey, isn't that sort of how it goes with a lot of these tragedies, unfortunately? Yeah, it's with people trying to just find some kind of way to explain the more recent disappearances that happened really, really fast. Like, how can a Mm -hmm. ship go down that fast and just be totally gone before anyone had a chance to uh, abandon ship, uh, put out any kind of distress signal to indicate that happening, just be totally under the waves before anyone even knows it? And that is a way that could potentially do it. Mm-hmm. As far as not finding the wreckage afterward, there's some cool... I'll link to an article or two I found that does show like how there are underwater canyons that can really bury stuff. Like I said, it get, the water gets really deep in this particular section of the Atlantic. And mm. uh, there's a lot to be said about how and uh, why this could cause different... Oh, uh, no. Is this, I have to pay for this? What the hell? Oh, oh hold on one second. Um, National Geographic <laughs> wants me to sign up for... Uh, there you go. I just put no at no dot no. So thanks for signing up. You have three more free articles. It works. <laughs> nice one. Um, they actually do mention Flight 19 in here and possible explanations for what might have happened to uh, that. Hmm. These were extremely heavy metal uh, planes. Would have been very easy for them to sink very, very hard once they got in the water. Once they get down to the bottom, the bottom is far enough away. Like you mentioned, currents and stuff too. And the fact that no one really knew where they were when it sank. It's hard to know where to look. Mm -hmm. A lot of different factors that could just make it just very hard to know what's going on. So I'll link to this article that describes in detail the National Geographic article uh, as I just kind of blew through. It may ask you to subscribe to be able to read it, but just type in a fake email address and it will let you read the rest of the article. (laughs) Uh, And three more after that. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, there's just a lot of reasons why stuff, I mean, the ocean is huge and deep and dangerous stuff can happen in it. And the Bermuda Triangle region in general, uh, has a lot more reason for stuff to happen in it that are not paranormal. Yes, indeed. As much as some of these cases may go unsolved in the sense that we can't actually find the wreckage of these various, uh, vehicles at some point they'll turn up. It's also really important to mention that um, frequently when people are telling weird stories about stuff happening there, they either neglect to report on the weather that was happening, like they just don't omit they yeah, omit that true. part of it, the story totally, or they claim it was a totally clear and sunny day when just looking at newspapers and stuff from the day of the incident <laughs> will like tell... <laughs> yeah, it's like a totally different story. Like, oh, there was a huge storm that day. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a totally clear day. Like, yeah, this is clearly what happened. Um, some... Cool debunking went into that uh, back in, I think, the 70s, looking at all kinds of mm. famous cases that a guy just dug deeper and found that, no, actually, these are all storms. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, that's all it would take, too. But there you have it, the Bermuda Triangle in all its glory and yeah. infamy. Uh, it was very fun to dive into this, even if we're both kind of over it from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's near and dear to our 
or hurts. I oh think, yeah, just like a, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we, um, I mean, I the very first episode I debunked my favorite cryptid in the entire world. <laughs> it's the stuff that got us hooked into this stuff in the first place. It's the stuff that it's makes true. us excited. It's very fun to talk about, even if it's not something we necessarily believe in anymore. Indeed. And we thank you very much, Alana, for the thank suggestion. Thank you very much. If you out there have a suggestion of a topic you'd like us to cover or a story of your own you'd like to uh, have us tell on here, please do send it to us. Contact at superduperstitious.com is the email address. You can also reach out to us on any of our various social media um, but we'll then refer you to the email address because it's way easier to read an email than it is to read a bunch <laughs> of Instagram messages and easier to type too. It's easier to use a keyboard than your fingers, but you use a <laughs> keyboard with your fingers. Anyway, please send them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, we really appreciate it. And, uh, and thank you so very much, Alana again. And, uh, I gotta say all this, uh, all this talk of the Bermuda triangle has me thinking of another kind of triangle, which is. A shape formed when you combine <laughs> heavy metal, delicious beer, and D and D. D and D. Yes. <laughs> this, of course, is the triangle that centers on Four Phantoms, a delightful little brewery in Western Massachusetts that sells its beer near and far, as long as you're in New England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and near and far. Within a very specific radius. An awesome brewery that we're so happy to get to talk about on this show. Uh, they are... And to get to drink while we record the show. Oh my goodness gracious, they are tasty-ass beers. So, we're talking about... Purple Potion is back in the mix, if I'm not mistaken. It this is. is. I just had one yesterday. It, it's oh, even better than so I remember. So fucking tasty. If you like tart beers, even if you like, like, shandies, rattlers, sours, everything in, in between... It's going to do something for you. Yes. Strong berry notes, some lavender. It's great. If, you, if you're like me and you don't really like very strong floral flavors and stuff, it's nice and subtle. It's just yes. a, a unique but very tasty experience. They have the new Battle Standard. This is a lager with some funky hops in the mix, so it's got a real interesting edge to it. They also have uh, Hand of Doom, which is a current stout they got going on. I actually, I do have it now. I haven't tried it yet, but I understand from you that it is quite tasty. It is quite tasty. We've got your dark malt, maple syrup, loads of oats, and uh, lots of chocolatey taste, mm -hmm. and a certifiable daddy mommy beer at 9%, oh, which of course is the percentage mean? of oatmeal stout that it is. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. You can get Four Phantoms either in various beer selling places in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. You can also arrange for curbside pickup if you contact them through the email address that we provide in every episode description. And uh, whether or not you can access this beer, you can help the beer out. They help us out. You should help them out by leaving them a nice review on Untapped. Untapped. You can just say something cool and nice about them regardless of whether you've actually had the beer. That helps boost the signal for them. Uh, and if you say something really fun and mention us, we'll read it on the show. So thank you all very much. And thank you so much for Phantoms mm -hmm. for your support. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys, of course, for listening. A, f a totally free way to support us, just like uh, leaving a review on Untapped for for Phantoms, is to leave a review for us, ideally on Apple Podcasts. It's the, it's the place where the most of that stuff uh, is... <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's the biggest one that gets the most attention for us, which is helpful in uh, getting our show to more earballs. And it just makes your day. 
it does it does we've got several nice reviews very recently that just made us very happy and uh just keep coming it makes us feel less uh <laughs> less empty inside so on that note thank you all very much for joining us this week and uh yeah we'll look forward to catching up with you next time bye goodbye triangle man triangle man triangle man hates particle man they have a fight triangle wins triangle man